All right, so Luke chapter 8, we are going to be in verses 26 through 39. One, they're doing the Christmas story again over there, and we are doing demon possession over here. So, <laughs> lovely. Let's get into it. Yeah. What did you learn? Demons? All right, so Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read it because I, I want us to understand the whole story before we break it down verse by verse. So, Verse 26, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the uh, Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he, speaking of Jesus, stepped out, stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes, so he was naked, nor did he live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. Great place to live, good land, good property. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him. And with a loud voice, he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. And the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. And when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they also had seen, and they also who had seen it told them, by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. And the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way, and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So we pick it up where we left off, I think, two weeks ago, where Jesus had just shown his authority over nature. Remember where the disciples were like, who is this man that the wind and the waves can obey him? Well, he's, he's Jesus. He's the one that created the winds and the waves, everything that we see in nature. So he has the authority over nature. So when he says stop, it stops. You know, he has that type of authority. And here we're going to see that, that Jesus has authority over demons, okay? And we don't have enough time to break things down to the, the basic, most simplest level. Um, most of us have grown up in church. A lot of us are somewhat biblically literate, so we understand things that are happening here. Uh, demons are simply what? Fallen angels. And where do we know this from? What are, what are fallen angels, for those of us who don't know? Go ahead. Exactly. And how many were there? One-third. One-third is what we know. Scripture tells us, we see this in the Old Testament, that when Satan... Uh, when, when, when pride kicked in and he didn't want to be, you know, you got to understand this, Satan, who was Lucifer, he was basically like second in command. Like he was, 
he had like some of the most authority and power and position that you could have in where he was. But he wanted to be like God, and obviously that's where we fell as men too. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to be in that position. So he rebelled, and with him, one-third of the angels rebelled. And so those angels are what we now call demons who, just like Satan, do actually roam this earth. And they do actually have somewhat power, okay? Now, their power is limited to what God allows. Uh, Their power is also limited and nothing in comparison to who God is, right? So first of all, God allows their power, and yet God is also greater than their power, right? Think of it this way. If Satan had any type of power, he would stop God from doing what he was doing, right? But he can't. He doesn't have that type of ability. He doesn't have that type of power. We see in Job that uh, Satan has to ask permission from God. We even see here that this demon has to ask permission from Jesus. So they, they are limited in their capacity, in their ability, and in their power. But yet we can't also think that they are nothing, right? Just like we also can't think that Satan isn't nothing. He is our adversary. He is the devil. He is, you know, he, he does attack. So we don't want to give too much credit, but we also don't want to give no credit. Does that make sense? And so the demons are, are fallen angels. Uh, they, do can, they do and they can possess people. Uh, and we'll talk about what demon possession is. But ver- first, let's look at verse 26. It says, Then they, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee. So they have set sailed. Uh, they survived the storm. They've arrived now on the eastern shore of Galilee uh, in this city. Um, and what we got to understand is on the western side of Galilee was where the Jews were. On the eastern side is where it was mainly inhabited by Gentiles. And that's where Jesus is right now. The eastern side was typically called the other side, right? Verse 27, when he, Jesus, stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in house, but in the tombs. So demon possession, let's break this down by its term, by its word. In Greek, it is daimonzomai, which I'll spell it for you because I probably didn't pronounce it right. It's D-A-I-M-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. So in the Greek, in the New Testament, demon possession is this word. And this term describes a variety of conditions, both physical, emotional, mental, psychological, for which the cause is identified as direct demonic influence. Okay? And there's many, well, there's not many, there's, there's a few passages within Scripture that shows us demon possession. And I don't think it's, the, you know, it's exhaustive in what demon possession looks like or the symptoms or how it may present itself. Uh, but we do get a good idea of, of what happens under demon possession. Some biblical passages, which you can look up on your own time, uh, with demon possession is Matthew 9, Matthew 12, Matthew 17. And also Mark 5, which is the same story that we're reading here. Matthew 7, Luke 4, Luke 22, and Acts 16. And what we see as we look into these passages is that demon possession, it causes physical ailments. You know, we see sometimes where they're, they're unable to speak. Uh, we see epileptic uh, symptoms, blindness. Uh, we see, we see a, a 
plethora of things. Um, in some other cases, we see individuals uh, do evil things. I think Judas is a good example of that. In Acts 16, we see a spirit who gives a slave girl the ability to know things uh, beyond her own understanding. Um, you know, we see a demon-possessed man here who has superhuman strength because he's able to break out of the shackles and bonds that he's, he's under. Um, we see King Saul, who was troubled by an evil spirit. He rebelled against God and affected him in his, his um, I don't know, his health, his, his mentality. He was depressed. He, was, uh, he also had an increased desire to, to kill David. He was paranoid. You know, all these things, um, we see these, these varying symptoms and um, manifestations of these demonic presence. Uh, there's also a wide variety of other symptoms, uh, physical impairments um, that can't be attributed to psychological problems or a personality change, supernatural strength, immodesty, antisocial behavior. Um, there's a lot of different things. Um, but it's also important to know this, and I'm going to try, try to say this carefully. I think within our, our Western culture in America, we, we try to fix everything with drugs, right, medication. And I'm not against medication. It is helpful and it is needed. God has given people amazing brains and intellect to be able to create, you know, chemotherapy and certain kinds of drugs and all these things that can actually help us with physical and mental ailments, correct? Some of us take those, and that's good. That's, that's healthy. But I also think on the flip side, sometimes we, we will equate everything, like everything needs to be treated with drugs. And I don't think that's always the case because I think we forsake sometimes that maybe, maybe it's spiritual, right? Now, if this guy were alive now in 2021, we would say this guy is just mentally unstable. He needs medication. And what we find out is, you know, medication may have helped, but it wouldn't have solved the issue, which was demonic possession. Now, on the other flip side, I'm also not saying that everyone who is crazy or is depressed or has some type of impediment, that they're demon-possessed. Okay? We understand this? Okay? I'm not saying you're demon-possessed, your family member, your friend, because they have this, they have that. I'm not saying that. It's a fine balance that we have to play, right? And John tells us that we need to test every spirit. And so we need to test spirits. We need to, you know, we can't forsake and think, ah, that person is just crazy. It's, it's not spiritual, right? Or we can't just think, oh, it's all spiritual. They don't need any medication, okay? I hope I said that in the best way possible for you to understand but we also have to understand that demonic possession is real, okay? And it's also not always the way that we see Hollywood make it out, right? Um, it's, it may not present itself where, you know, the guy's crawling on the wall and the ceiling and then his head twists 360 degrees, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we understand Hollywood's fake, correct? In that they're not the best in understanding things that are spiritual and biblical, right? Um, so, one of the things that we, we, I don't know, and I don't think scripture even clearly states it, is how, how does this happen? 
right? How does this man go from, I mean, we even see demon possession within children in scripture, right? And I remember one time Whitney and I were watching, um, it was like Nanny 911. Have you guys ever seen that? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like Nanny 911 or some type of 60 Minutes episode. I don't know. But it was like these seven-year-old, eight-year-old kids that were just like, like, you wanted to slap them so hard because they were so disrespectful and disobedient to their parents with simple things. I'm like, dude, if my kid ever did that to me, I wouldn't slap them. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to give you the, the, the feeling of like, how, how, could, how, could you be, how could you be that way at seven, eight years old? And I remember we were watching it. This was years ago. And they were like, well, they just need medication or they didn't take their medication or they need more doses of medication. And I'm like, I, th- I think that helps. But I also think, dude, is this, is this kid possessed? Like he was so bad and so, I, I can't explain it. You'd have to see it. Anyways, but I don't, I don't know and I don't fully comprehend how, how this happens, how somebody is, is then possessed by a demon. One thing I do know, and, and Scripture is clear on, is that, that Christians cannot be possessed by a demon, right? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. That's a very simple question to answer. Can Christians be demon-possessed? No, they cannot. We are safe. Uh, can we be influenced? Can there be opposition? Can there be battle? Yeah, like we have that against principalities and powers, against Satan. We, we have that. We have an ad- adversary. It's very real, but we cannot be possessed by a demon. Also, we cannot be possessed by the Holy Spirit. Do we understand this? When, there was, when there's a man or a woman or child who's possessed by a demon, they are unable to control the demon. The demon is in control of the host trying to explain it clearly, okay? They're in control. And we see that in this, where the demon is in control of this man. We don't know whose name is. We know the name of the the demon or the demons is Legion. That's how he presents himself, right? But he has no control. This man has no control. We see this in other times where a man had no control, and so he would throw himself into fire, right? Hurting himself. But with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit living in us, He's not like a demon who controls us, and we have no control. You guys may have been to, you know, some, some churches where people are falling out of their seats, and they're shaking, and they're dancing, and they are, you know, screaming out tongues in different languages, and they have no control, and they, you know, they, they start doing the... And understand, and understand this. The Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is active, and the Holy Spirit does give us gifts and abilities, Yes, 100%. Like, speaking in tongues is real. There are many people in this church who can speak tongues, and it's real and it's legitimate, and, and it's, done in, it's done in control, right, in order. And we see that all throughout Scripture, in everything that happens, there's always order and control. There's never this, oh, the Holy Spirit took over, and I, I couldn't control it. And I want you to, to understand, I know this, because 1 Corinthians 14, 32 says this. It says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to, to the prophets. So if you're ever in church and somebody starts yelling out something, you know, and they, couldn't, they say they couldn't help it, no, they could. And I'd be like, dude, you're a fake. You're just trying to, to bring attention onto yourself, right? That, that there is order. And Paul says in Corinthians as well, you know, when people do this in church and speak in tongues, 
It, 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 it's confusing to the non-believers. It's like, what, what is happening? Especially if there is no interpretation, there should be interpretation, right? I don't want to try to get on tongues too much, but again, there is this, this possession that demons have over the person that they are within. And I want you to understand there is comfort for us who are born-again believers because we cannot be possessed. That we know that first John 4, 4 says, you are of God, little children. Uh, and he says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Right? That Jesus is always greater. That nothing, literally nothing, can touch us if we have Jesus. So, going back to the original question, how does this happen? I don't know. But again, there is permission that needs to be had. Um, I believe that you can open yourself up to uh, demonic possession. I don't think you can, yeah, I don't know. Dude, the world's so weird. Our, our, the, the way that we, the things that we justify, the things that we allow, the things that we watch. Patrick and I were talking about this earlier, and I was like, dude, that's kind of funny and ironic because we're going to be talking about this today. You know, just something as simple as like uh, GTA, right? And how just how stupid it is that you can just go around killing people and driving over people and uh, I'm don't fully understand the game because I never played it so if I sound like a noob it's because I am um, but I do know that there's many video games I've talked about this before when the PlayStation 5 came out and they had their trailer or their uh, their release and they were showing all the new video games that came out there must have have been like 30 games every single one had to do with some type of immorality and evil wickedness, whether it was some type of, of demon that you were fighting or it was some type of violence, right? Uh, killing, murdering. Uh, n none of it was like Mario, right? <laughs> or like a baseball game or a soccer game. It all had to do with wickedness and evil, violence, murder. And it's like, and then we have all these movies and we have all these TV shows. You know, we got... You know, uh, I don't even know them all because I don't watch them. I don't subject myself to them because it really does influence and it does change us. Okay? So, like, you know, the, the 13 Reasons Why and You and uh, Squid Game and all these ones that are hyped, right? They, they trend. They go viral. And all your friends watch them and they see them. And I, I totally understand in your position, you don't want to be the weirdo that doesn't see the things that everyone else sees. You don't want to be the weirdo that doesn't play the games that everyone else is playing. I totally get that. But you will put yourself in a position that's not good. And you, you could come up to me and you could say, dude, and your parents could even say this, it's just a video game. It's just a movie. But why would you open up your, yourself to these things and the possibility of things that extend further than that? I mean, how do people get into witchcraft? How do people get into the voodoo stuff and the um, Ouija board and, and all these things? Like, it's not like one day you wake up and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that. It, it slowly develops as you open yourself up to things and you justify things. It, sin always works that way. And I'm not saying all sin is going to lead to the possibility of demonic possession, okay? But we've got to be mindful of the things that we do open up ourselves to, right? And so it... It takes a stronger person to not watch the things that everyone else is watching. It does. You may think, oh, well, I'm strong enough. I can, I can watch that. I can play this. I can listen to that. You know, I mean, you, you think of all the, 
dude, even just music. Why can't music just be music? Nowadays, they're grinding Satan, right? Like, it's, it's not just... Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I think you guys understand this. You guys have phones. You see it. Everything is, is led to these, this wickedness. Everything's demonic. Everything's evil. And I'll tell you this. People will think, oh, it's fun. I, psh, you'll know what you're missing out on. It's fun. It's, it, it brings you into another dimension. It, it brings this feeling of euphoria. I don't know. Whatever they want to say. But they are not in control. And they are not truly free. Don't you think that this guy thinks he's free? He's running around naked doing whatever he wants. Is there anything more free than that? No, dude. This dude's running around naked doing whatever he wants. He's free. But he's not free. He's not. It's a false sense of freedom. And we get that too now in 2021 where we have this false sense of freedom because we think that we can partake and do anything that we want. But listen, even though all things are lawful for us as Christians, not all things are beneficial, as Paul says. Not all things are helpful. Yeah, maybe I can watch this certain movie and maybe it won't affect me. But again, I always, for myself, I think, why, why, do, why would I subject myself to that and bring about any type of possibility that could be bad? Right? So, I, I just, you know, and we could talk about this a lot more. Um, you know, there's a lot of cults. I know there's one, one man specifically who was into witchcraft and into the cults and into, you know, he talks about out-of-body experiences and all these things that, you know, very real things. Mm-hmm. Very real things. Um, and, and God saved him. And God redeemed him. And he, you know, I think, I don't want to speak for him. But I just, I want you to understand that it's a very real thing. I'm also not trying to scare you. Because it's, it's also not a scary thing. Because we have Jesus. Right? And nobody... It's, you know, demonic possession is not a thing or a subject to scare people to Jesus, right? Nobody goes to Jesus for the fear of hell and the fear of demonic possession. That, you know, we run to Jesus because of his goodness and his kindness and because of his grace and his mercy, not out of fear or wanting to get out of this, right? It's, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not the fear of demonic possession, <laughs> Right? But we also have to be wise and aware that these things are real. So, verse 28, let's pick it up. When he saw Jesus, speaking of the demon, he cried out and he fell down before him and he said with a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. So again, this is not the man speaking. This is the demonic spirit within the possessed man who is speaking. And and we go from one extreme to the other. We go from the disciples who, you know, in verse 25 are like, Who is this man? you know, who had been with him for a while now. And now we see this, this demon-possessed man where the demons ironically speak to Jesus and they, say, they know who he is, right? They say Jesus, and not just Jesus, they know that he is the son of the most high God. They know who he is and the position that he has. They're aware. Demons are aware. I mean, for some reason, we, we don't understand that. It doesn't click that, like, demons would know who Jesus is. But remember where they came from. They know who Jesus is. They know his power. They know his ability. They know his position. So, so they beg him. They say, do not torment me, which is another ironic statement because they are tormenting the man that they are 
overwhelming that they are within. And so, again, they know who Jesus is. We know this not just from this statement, but we know it from James, who says in James 2.19, you believe that there's one God. Good job. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So, when we hear, like, the phrase and the terminology in church, you know, believe in Jesus, well, even the demons believe. There, there has to be another step. What's the difference between the demons believing and you believing? What's the difference? One submits and surrenders to Jesus. The other one doesn't, right? One obeys. One, one again, it's, there's a, a complete surrender. One repents and, and turns to Jesus so it's, it's more than just a belief. It's a confession and repentance. And it's a surrendering of our lives to Jesus Christ because of who he is. And here we see that they don't want to. They have made their decision that they wanted to disobey and that they wanted to leave. They wanted to rebel. They have, and this is where the position that they are in. Verse 29, it says, For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And we see in Mark chapter 5 where he actually speaks this. We don't see it here in this section. For he had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into wilderness. So we see here that someone in the city, someone in the town found it necessary to have this guy chained up. I think because of the safety of everyone. Um, didn't want, I don't know, whatever. The kids were out playing. This guy came over and tried to kick him. I don't know. Um, but he has this superhuman strength where he can you know, get out of the bonds that he was in, the shackles that he was under. The demon drives him into the wilderness. The dude's naked, running around. But he's living in a very, very dark place, surrounded by death. We see that as he's living amongst the tombs. And we talked about this. I said this earlier. The freedom here that the demon gives is a false sense of freedom. Because it, even though he's running around, he's naked, he's doing what he wants, what's happening is is this man's... It, it, his, his dehumanization, his isolation, things are worsening in his, in his life even though he's naked and he's unrestrained. And again, he's living in, in darkness. You know, he's living in darkness. And I think there's many things that can cause us to live in places like this. We see one with demons. This man is, is possessed by demons. Uh, shame. Shame is something that can... Shame is this. It's the intense, painful feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging, you know, and this can happen after a painful incident. It can come from things that we say to ourselves in our lives. Um, it's something that thrives in dark places, drives us to dark places. But shame cannot survive when the light is turned on and love and acceptance is found. So shame can drive us to dark places. Pain can. Uh, we see in Mark five five that this same man. Uh, it says in verse 5 that always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. Um, I, we know that this epidemic of, of cutting is, is huge amongst your guys' age. Um, some of you may have, have dabbled in that, may be doing it right now. Um, there's this, this pain that we go through and we, we find this coping mechanism um, from, the, from the pain, you know, whether it's strong emotions, pressure, uh, maybe you're upset because you've gone through something, uh, lost friends, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't know what it is. There's many different things that can lead us to this. And so we feel that, you know, there, there needs to be this type of self-harm. You know, we don't find value in ourselves or, or we're trying to mask the pain or 
feel pain because we don't feel anything. We feel emotionless, right? There's so many different reasons for this to come about. Um, another thing that brings us into darkness, um, addiction, which is just another uh, part of shame. It's part of the cycle of pain and shame. Um, you know, there's many different types of addiction, uh, and it's, it's, it is, and that's what it is. It's the cycle. It's, I do this thing, I try to stop, I do it again, blah, 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 blah. Uh, mental illness, <sighs> you know, there's actual real physical things that we go through, uh, medical causes for mental illness um, that need medication. Um, you know, so there's all these things that, that can lead to some type of darkness that we're living in. And a lot of times it's, it's this isolation and few people know and it's we, you know, it's, we know that no one else knows because it's in our own hearts and it's the thing that we are struggling with. It's the thing that we are battling. And one thing that, that we have to understand and I want you to understand and I want me to understand is that we weren't created to be in those types of places and positions and, and to feel that way, to treat ourselves that way. Um, and that there are many things that can help us in life, you know, being around, you know, believers and, and loving and caring people, having a good support system, you know, maybe having a, a psychiatrist or taking medication or being busy, you know, doing something productive. All those things are good and helpful, but we can't ever forget the main solution, which is Jesus, which is Jesus. And it's and when I'm saying Jesus, I'm not talking about, you know, going to church and the Christian things. I'm talking about a real intimacy and a relationship with Jesus where you on your own, where you come to a position where I've got nothing else and I've got to turn to Jesus. And so you pray. And so you, you know, you have the word, you read the word, it's hidden in your heart. You are, uh, you know, as much as possible being with Jesus. And we see that Jesus here is the answer in regards to this situation with this man. And Jesus has the power and he has the authority over anything that is happening in our hearts and in our lives. Anything. Now that, again, this doesn't mean that you're going to be exempt from hardship in life, but the things that we struggle with, whether it's sin, darkness, evil things, you know, Jesus has the power and the authority. But remember, we have to submit to him. We, we have to give these things over to him. And if we cry out to him, he hears us and he answers us. And he's a loving and he's a kind and he's a gentle God. So in verse 30, Jesus, he asks the demon, he says, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Which this is interesting too. It wasn't just one demon, it was many demons. Now we don't know how many. Uh, legion comes, it's, it's a basic military term within the Roman army, and it usually consisted of 6,000 or so men. Um, but this doesn't mean that he had 6,000 demons. It just means that he had a lot. Um, so we don't know how many. But it's also possible that the demon here is trying to intimidate Jesus, um, that knowing that, like, there wasn't just one of him, there was many of them. It's kind of like, um, you know, a defense mechanism that animals have sometimes where they'll present themselves as bigger than they are, right? Have you guys seen this? I can't think of a specific animal right now. Um, but what? A bear? Sh well, they're scary anyways, dude. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. A monk? No. I'm trying to think. I can't think of something, but, like, 
but that's one of their like defenses, right? So like a skunk like poops out nasty air, and then you know what are some other uh, porcupine has its a peacock? Oh yeah, yeah, there you go, a peacock. Yeah, yeah. Who? You, uh, we didn't say it loud enough. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so we all understand peacock, right? So uh, in the same sense, I almost think like the, this, the, the demons here are, are doing that to present themselves as something bigger and more powerful, uh, trying this intimidation. You know, we're a lot, we're organized, we're unified, we're ready to fight. But, you know, again, anything against Jesus is nothing. You know, like, like for instance, when we watch Marvel movies, right, um, or any type of superhero movies, you've got this superhero, this god, right? Like Thor's a god, right? He's a god, and he's crazy powerful, and he's fighting like people like, you know, Hawkeye, who's just a dude. And I'm like, how's this guy not dead yet? He's just a dude. But what I'm trying to get at, you've got these superheroes. What was I getting at? I think I just want to talk about Marvel. Oh yeah, yeah, going against God is nothing, right? So. So it's almost like there's, there's this balance, there's these equals between the bad guy and the good guy, right? Like, um, you know, in the Batmans, there's always a bad guy, and there's always, like, this, this battle. Okay, no, perfect example. It just popped in my head. Have you seen the Lego Batman movie? Yes. So am I thinking of the right movie where Lego Batman needed, um, who was the bad guy? Joker, yeah, yeah. Like, they needed each other. Right? You guys remember that? Yeah. Like, they were almost equal in the sense, but Batman was a little bit better, and he always prevailed. Right? Now, understand this. And I'm getting at this. When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to God, and it comes to Satan, there's no similarity like that. There's no, like, well, Jesus has a little bit more power than Satan. No, no. Like, we've got to understand that, that Satan is nothing in comparison to Jesus. Like, they're not, they're not opposite equals, right? That, that's not the case. And and same thing with any other demon or evil, wicked thing. Jesus is in complete control and has complete authority over everything in anything. Okay? So Jesus has this. So so when when they'd say this, you know, I'm sure Jesus was, I don't think he was rolling his eyes, but he's like, dude, come on. And I think they realize this too because this is their response in verse 31. It says they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. It's like, okay, first you think you're big and bad, and then one second later you, you realize you're not, so you're begging for your life. Um, it says that these demons, they beg Jesus that they would not command them to go into the abyss. And what is the abyss here? The Greek word is translated into bottomless pit, the same that we see in Revelation. We see this in Revelation chapter 9. Uh, it's a place where demonic forces are to be exiled so they can no longer rule over humans. Uh, we see, it again, I'm going to read it to you, Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to keep teaching. We're not going to do breakouts because I want to cover this. Then the fifth angel sounded and saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So this is where demons are, are currently being held, um, and they'll be released during the tribulation where they'll torment mankind. It says in verse 4, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree 
but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days, men will seek death, and they will not find it. And they will desire to die, and death will flee from them, so they'll be unable to die. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and they were sting, and they were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is, who, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollon. And so here we see, and I know it sounds crazy and scary, and it is, but this happens during the tribulation where the church won't partake and the church won't be because we see the rapture or the taking up of in the air. Really quick. All right, let me answer that at the very end. Okay, don't forget it. All right, now a herd of many swine in verse 32 was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. So Jesus permits them to go. Mark records in Mark 5.13 that there was 2,000 pigs in this herd uh, within this swine. So Jesus allows them to go into the pig. Pigs and the demons went out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. So if the demons had gone into a flock of chickens, it would have produced deviled eggs. But they went into swine, and it, and it sounds weird. Like, why would, it sounds weird, like, demons going into animals, right? Think about this. This is not something that's new. And it totally blew my mind when I studied this. And it's something that you read and you never really think of. But we see this in Genesis 3. Isn't that weird? With a serpent and Satan. We never think of that, right? So here we see them going into the pigs. They need permission. Jesus gives them permission. Uh, but we see even just with the man, with the pigs, that demons are always, they're, they're bent on destroying the ones they inhabit. And so that's why we see so often that in Scripture that we're to be, be sober, that we are to be uh, serious, that we are to have the mind of Christ. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to kill. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Satan's not here to be your buddy. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and not just life, but that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So the question is, who do we want to follow? Is it Jesus or is it Satan? And John tells us that any of us who are not born again and children of God, that they're under the sway of the wicked one. That, that, and, and that's why we should never be shocked when it comes to politics and it comes to celebrities and, and, and anyone else that the way our world is going, it's going that way because people are under the sway of the wicked one. And it says the demons went out of the man and Jesus delivers the demons out of this man because Jesus has the authority. It's as simple as that. He has the authority. He even gave his disciples authorities we see throughout the Gospels. Um, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out in Matthew chapter 10. 
We see Paul who has the authority to do the same thing uh, with a demon-possessed girl in Acts chapter 16 and verse 18. Um, We see in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, uh, where disciples are trying to cast out a a demon-possessed man, and Jesus says, well, you know, it's only by prayer and fasting that this is done. Now, my next question that you may have that I have for you for us to answer is why does Jesus allow this? Why does Jesus send them into the pigs? Why didn't he just send them into the abyss? And I think it's for this, is that Jesus, it's not his time. And Jesus is orderly. Jesus has a time. He has a purpose. Um, but he's going to, at one point, show total, uh, his total demonstration of his authority over demons when he comes to the cross. And we see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that on the cross, Jesus disarms demons, um, that he's going to make a public spectacle of their defeat. He's going to triumph over them in his work upon the cross. Colossians 2.15 says this, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So again, Jesus and evil, there's, there's no real battle because Jesus just, he's God. He can do what he wants, and he's done it. And he's provided victory, and he's made a public, public spectacle of them. He has triumphed, and he has given us the opportunity to follow him, but he's also given us the opportunity to not follow him. And that's, that's where we find a loving God who doesn't uh, control or give us a lack of free will. Verse 34, we'll come in for a close. It says, When those who fed them saw what happened, they fled, and they told it in the city and their country, and then when they went out to see what happened, they came to Jesus. They found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he had been demon-possessed, was healed. And then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the uh, Gadarenes asked him to speak from uh, to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. And so they see now that this crazy man who had been shackled, they couldn't control, is now in his right mind. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And ironically enough, they're more afraid now when he was just a normal man than they were when he was a possessed man. And they see him sitting in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. And I think part of it was their, their superstition, their culture, uh, their understanding had been shattered. They didn't understand. They didn't know what to make of it. Um, according to their, their understanding, their superstition this time, uh, the demons should have had the power and the, the ability to overtake this man, Jesus. Um, but we see that didn't, that didn't happen, right? And so they had a hard time accepting this and understanding this. Um, and they become more afraid of Jesus uh, and what he could do than what Satan did and what he was doing. And so they pushed Jesus away, and they asked him to leave. And he left, and that's sad. In verse 38, it says, Now the man from whom the demons had departed, they, uh, he begged him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, and that might sound harsh, like, man, this, this guy just wants to be with Jesus, and Jesus is like, no, 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 go away. But that's, that's, not, that's not the intent nor the heart um, that, that Jesus displays. He says, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you, 
And he went his way and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And so once this man's delivered from, from the demons, he's no longer afraid of Jesus. And he begs to, to, to be with him and, and to go with him. Um, but first we see that he, he's, he's sitting at Jesus' feet. He wants to be with Jesus. And it's, it's a perfect example of a disciple and a follower of Jesus. They just want to be with Jesus. That after you've, you've experienced the power and the authority and the grace of God, that you just want to be with him. As simple as that. You want to be with him. But this man didn't only want what Jesus could do for him. It wasn't that he wanted Jesus, you know, more of what he could do. He just wanted Jesus because he just wanted Jesus. He wanted to be with him. And I think that shows a true, you know, change of heart and a true repentance that we just want Jesus because we understand who he is. You know, and we're not just always trying to get something from him, you know, and to use him. And the blessing of Jesus that we do, we get a lot from him, and we constantly do, and we need to go to him for things. But we also can't forsake, you know, just wanting Jesus because he's kind and he's loving and he's shown us the grace that we didn't deserve. So Jesus tells him, no, you, you need to return to your own house. You need to tell, you know, people what, what God has done, which is funny because usually what happens when Jesus performs a miracle, he says, don't tell anybody, right? Don't tell anyone. So here's the opposite. The idea is, like, whatever Jesus tells you to do, just do it because he knows best, right? And so he says, look, go tell people. And he goes and he proclaims and he tells the greatness of what God has done in his life. Look, and we should do the same. And don't get so hung up on the great things. You know, it's, you don't have to go through a demon possession and God freeing you from that for you to tell people what God has done in your life. Great is a relative term. Okay, it is what is great that God has done in your life. You don't need to compare and contrast with what God has done in other people's lives and other people's testimonies. If God has redeemed you and you know God, then that's great. That's, that's the most important thing. So it was a good message uh, that this man had to tell, and he goes and he tells everyone, uh, and he preaches about Jesus. He goes to his own family. Um, and what, what the beautiful thing about this whole thing, we'll end with this, is this, this man in this story, it shows that Jesus cares even just about the one person, the insane, crazy person that everyone has, you know, just written off. They have thrown him in and shackled him. Because what we see is when Jesus comes to this other side, is that this is the only thing he does when he's there, right? And, and so, yes, we see Jesus' authority and power displayed, but we see this man freed and redeemed. We see this man who was once in darkness, now in his right state of mind, who now wants to follow and be with Jesus. And so it shows us that Jesus cares about the one. He cares about the crazy one. He cares about the weird one. He cares about the one that is struggling with this and that. And also shows that no one, no matter what you're going through, is beyond any type of hope. With Jesus, there is always hope. He is the definition of hope. And so... If Jesus could change this man, if he could heal and redeem this man, then he can do it for anyone. And he will do it for anyone if we surrender and submit to him. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you, Lord, just for this example of Jesus' authority. And Lord, if there's anyone in here who's struggling with any type of thing, you know what it is. I don't need to give examples. You, you know, they know. 
Lord, that we would give it up to you, that we would surrender it to you. Lord, because we know that you care for us. Lord, that we are not too minute, too little, too insignificant. And there's also nothing too great or too evil or too dark for you to redeem. Lord, you love us. And you will redeem us and you have that power and you have that authority. And I thank you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just be with us as we go forward in our week. Lord, that you would give us rest um, from the craziness and the hectic year of 2021, that you prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, for 2022, or as we set in this new year. And uh, Lord, I pray that you just do amazing things in our lives, even in the midst of, of chaos and as we, we travel through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord. I know, I know this year is going to bring about some things that are unexpected. And Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes fixated on you. In Jesus' name, amen.